0: Jingle, buzz, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Hey, jingle, buzz, jingle, buzz, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. We're dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh. All the fields we go, laughing all the way. Hey, buzz on your Ring. Making spirits bright Oh, what fun it is to sing a sleighing song tonight Oh, jingle buzz, jingle buzz, jingle all the way Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh Hey, jingle buzz, jingle buzz, jingle all the way Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh A day or two ago I thought I'd take a ride And soon Miss Fanny Bright Was seated by my side The horse was lean and lank misfortune seemed his luck. he got into a drifting bank and then we got upset hello and welcome
1: away. to broadway videos this week on broadway for sunday december 24th 2023 my name is james marino and in the broadcast today we have peter felicia and michael portant here Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His new book, Brain Teases for Broadway Geniuses, is now available wherever finer books are sold. Peter also has columns at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hi. Hello. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of CastAlbumReviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You could see his photography work at followspotphoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. Michael, are you making a list and checking it twice? Are you going to find out who's naughty and nice? Well, of course, (laughs) I'm talking about the Jerry Orbach's uh, Broadway at 54 (laughs) Below coming up on January 25th in 2024, so... How, you have to make a lot of lists when you're, pr- when you're, uh, pr- uh, producing shows.
2: Well, it would be nice rather than naughty if people bought tickets. <laughs> 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 and if they cannot make it, um, physically to the club, uh, we recently had to confirm that the show is going to be live streamed. So, uh, we'll give you the link to that at 7 PM on, uh, Thursday, January 25th. And also, uh, Recently, fairly recently, we added the great Anita Gillette to our cast, um, which is going to be so wonderful because she, first of all, she worked with Jerry in Carnival, um, although initially uh, Anita was just in the chorus. Uh, But then Anna Maria Alberghetti was out at least one night and Anita went on and got all this publicity because David Merrick liked to do that kind of thing. (laughs) Mm. Um, So, yes, so that was her first experience with Jerry. Uh, And then a few years later, they played Guys and Dolls at City Center with Anita as Sarah Brown and Jerry as Sky Masterson. So she says she has a lot of memories and a lot of love for Jerry. And she's going to talk and and sing. Uh, I think she's going to sing If I Were a Bell from Guys and Girls. And then uh, we had had, a unfortunately, someone drop out of our cast, Nikita Burstein, but he has been replaced by a friend and colleague of mine named Patrick Michael Wickham, who is a noted voice teacher uh, and conductor and composer, but also he had played the title role in The Phantom of the Opera, on a national tour. So he's got the goods for that. So I'm I'm feeling very good about it.
1: Great. So we'll have a link to the, uh, the show in the show notes, uh, Jerry O'Rourke, Broadway at 54 below Thursday, January 25th at 7 PM live and live streamed as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you can get all the information at the show notes, uh, get right over there and check out this show, which is, uh,
2: uh, uh, sort of an encore performance there, Michael. Yes, yes. We did it in July for one night only. So now it'll be two nights only. All right. <laughs>
1: So Peter, this is the season of going to parties, isn't it?
3: <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> and gaining weight, right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, not for you. You know. Oh, yeah, well right. ever ever since the uh the move from Midtown to uh to mm-hmm. Washington Square Park, um are you um uh, are, are you not making those walks daily now?
3: Well, not those walks, but other walks. Yes, indeed. Let's try to keep off the weight, but it's so hard this time of year, as everybody knows, uh, because you say parties, and um, one of my favorite expressions: um, "Broken cookies have no calories." You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you see the shards of them, and you say, "Well, you know," and they, they're here. Why not? So um, I like yeah. that. I like that. <laughs> oh,
1: has, has anybody ever written a? song about broken cookies that that sounds like a great title
3: <laughs> it does doesn't it yeah <laughs> sounds really. like a con- <laughs> country song <laughs> yeah broken <right. laughs> you <know, Cookin'> cookies <laughs> the meta the metaphor of you know you broke my heart and, um, <laughs> yeah. all that stuff yeah it does sound like right. a country song i still remember being in um in nashville and going to the grand old opry there was a entertainer there named little jimmy dickens um i guess the little was in quotation marks <laughs> and he sang a song called i'm so blue over you i might do anything <laughs> Wow, <Well>, you
1: know <laughs> <laughs> well i want marcy heisler and zina goldrich to jump on broken cookies right away they'd know? be good at it.
3: They're such a good, good team anyway. oh there's, they there's are yeah i agree
1: so, Peter, you were at a party with your girlfriend, Linda, and yeah. uh, mm-hmm. and tell us the story about the lyricist.
3: Well, yeah. Yeah, I don't want to say who it is, but she did go up to a lyricist and said, oh, I love your song, blah, blah, blah. And he didn't really react. And I said, well, you know, I think it may very well be that it's the music of that song that, that carries it more than the lyrics. And maybe he assumed that's what you meant, and that's why he didn't respond. And I, And so I asked on Facebook, uh people more moved by music or lyrics? I have to say I was tremendously surprised that so many people said, oh, the lyrics... And um, so I rebutted in saying, well, you know, I mean, there's so much music that doesn't have lyrics that people listen to. For example, the bulk of classical music doesn't have lyrics. The bulk of jazz doesn't have lyrics. Um, there are instrumental albums, um, albums simply <laughs> people playing music with um, popular music with no lyrics attached at all. I dare say there are very few, if any, albums of people reciting lyrics. Um <clears throat> So I did another thing this morning. I checked, and I went to see on IBDB. They have a a menu, uh, and uh, you can find songs. You can put in the names of songs. So I typed in music, and it turned out that 148 Broadway musicals have had songs with the word music in them. Mm -hmm. And I typed in lyrics, and not one Broadway song has ever been um had lyric in the title never not once wow. so the score is 148 to um to zero um <clears throat> the if you go to imdb it'll actually say 168 but uh what they do is they um list a song um as many times as revivals as it's had so uh so indeed, Blossom Time has a song with the word music in it, and there were plenty of Blossom Time productions uh, way back when. So, but I, um, I excised, I, I did the math, and, uh, it comes to 148. So, um, I, you know, it surprised me though, how many people said lyrics. And again, you know, maybe that is indeed, um, <laughs> we're all different people and fine, you know, but, um, but I'm very surprised.
1: Andrew Lloyd Webber's not writing a song called The Lyrics of the Night. No, no, no. He's not. <laughs> you, know. <laughs> you know, some Yeah, really, you know. <laughs> it's it's funny for me, the uh it, it's changed over time because I think that it 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 originally began as much more the music. And over time, I I think the words the words are so much more important to me yeah, than,
3: okay.
1: than the music.
3: I I also will point out that um in virtually every Broadway musical um music is built before lyrics but on the other hand book is booked before uh, usually before music so um that would scuttle that argument but
2: Alan uh, J Lerner used mm-hmm. to uh, seem to um require that he's his name be, be before Frederick Lowe's.
3: sure but i mean uh, i would say the vast majority oh yeah of, yeah, uh, yeah i'm yeah. i'm
2: just saying that's the exception
3: um <clears throat> would uh that it says book by music by lyrics by, um, but that's the traditional lineup. Um, so while music comes before lyrics, after all, book comes before music. So that doesn't really uh, support what I'm saying, but, um, they are called musicals, you know, not lyrics. Hey,
1: uh, it's been a few years bef- uh, since I've, I've, uh, looked at a contract, but <clears throat> have you ever heard the term two, two, and two? Yeah. Uh, so two, two, and two is two percent, two percent, two percent that right. the book, lyrics, and music writer get from a Broadway gross uh, as a payment when a show is running, uh, and so it seems to be broken down there from a legal standpoint as well. Uh, Alan Teasley in our chat room says, however, Peter, don't some songs have the words have the word words meaning lyrics in them?
3: Ah, uh, that's fair. That's fair, yes indeed. Yeah. Oh, well. Madeline. Yeah, good yeah. observation. Yes. Um, so 39. I, I just and, checked 39. And can
1: I argue that uh that plays are merely musicals without music?
3: <laughs> for sure. Um, actually, um so for words, it would actually be 35 because there are some repeats here too. <laughs> so, um <clears throat> Yeah, so music wipes the flow with words too here. So uh, but uh, that was a very good rebuttal.
1: Uh Rob Johnson in our chat room also says as he replied on Facebook, the music gets a song into his head, but the lyrics are what etch there which it's there etch it in there permanently.
3: So well, I I, um, I will admit, you know, that so many times lyrics do inform our our, our opinions. I mean, I, I will never forget when I was teaching high school that um there was a girl named Patricia who was desperately in love with Jack and every time I came to the classroom there they were making out um just before the class began so <laughs> on and so forth. I mean they were just such a tight couple and one day there was Patricia with somebody else entirely making out incredibly and I, um, I said what happened to Jack? And she just waved a hand and said, I lost that love and feeling. And of course, (laughs) the song, you've lost that love and feeling. I thought, you know, this song gives this girl license to drop the guy. It makes it so (laughs) much easier to do it. You know, that. that. So yes, of course, lyrics are very potent and uh, certainly inform a lot of our lives. And there are many times where we use them even to get out of situations that we um, don't want to be in. But. But wow, you know, I'm I'm still surprised that uh, I expected it to be a landslide vote for for music, and that didn't happen at all.
1: So let me ask a, a very difficult question that both of you: uh, When uh, somebody says to you, "What's your favorite song?", Do you think of the uh, of a melody, or do you think of I a do. lyric, or do you I think do. of
3: both? I, I I think of music far first. Yeah, um, Michael,
2: how about you? No, I think I've both together i'm I'm actually surprised that 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 many people think of them as separately mm. it also though it depends on what kind of a song you know if it's a ballad, I suppose you might think of the music m- first, but if it's a more of an obtune well, comedy song
3: that that brings up an interesting point too and uh it's a point I've often made though it didn't come up on any of this facebook but <clears throat> It seems to me that when people talk about their favorite song, it usually is a sincere song, a ballad, a slow song, so to speak, as opposed to, um, you know, the Stars and Stripes Forever or whatever. But I mean, yeah, yeah I, it seems to be, and that's a question worth asking. And I guess I'll ask that on Facebook pretty soon. Uh, is your favorite song, um, a slow song or is it, uh, Fast. Yeah, I, that's I guess, that's I guess a very good are, point. I guess that's the only two ways I can put it: is fast and slow. I, you know, up tempo mm. and ballad. I mean, I guess. But anyway, um,
2: yeah, up tempo and ballad I, might be yeah, better than fast yeah, and okay.
3: slow. <laughs> slow, right? I might do both. Anyway, we yeah, shall up- see. what We shall see. <laughs> up
1: tempo and ballad is an appropriate way to describe these songs. <laughs> <laughs> So, Peter, can you reflect back to the summer of 2011 when you spent time in Arkansas at a plantation?
3: Wow. um, Was it 2011? Oh, I see. You're talking (laughs) about Appropriate. Yeah, because I I did go to Arkansas (laughs) and I was on a plantation. So so
1: Peter got a chance to go over to the Hayes Theater to see the Broadway production of Appropriate that's playing right now. So, Peter, tell us about this.
3: Well, I'll tell you what's interesting to me about this, first than anything else, and that is the fact that we are introduced right away to a family, um, a a whole bunch of members of the family. I'm talking about in-laws and, for that matter, outlaws, but um, people who have gotten along, people who have not gotten along. Um, It's very hard in uh, in this situation, to get along with Tony, uh, played by Sarah Paulson, brilliantly. A phenomenal performance of a woman who uh, will not take no for an answer, a woman who wants to run your life, a woman who has solid opinions, a woman who thinks she's always right, a woman who can't see any other viewpoint but her own. And um, <clears throat> that turns out to be a problem when um, her brother shows up with uh, his new girlfriend, River, um, and uh, that's played by El Fanning, um, who is making a Broadway debut, but is certainly well known to people uh, who watch TV. Um <clears throat> but sparks fly tremendously. But here's my point. There I was watching this play and I thought, well, this is very interesting that in this moment in time, with this so much non traditional casting, that we are looking at an all white family, uh, that they actually put all white people on stage. Uh, and um, that's somewhat of a rarity now. But there's a reason for it, because the play is going to deal with race, and it's going to deal with race tremendously. Well, everybody's there because um, the father has died, and it's time to um, look over the house and see who gets what and uh, clean up, because he was such a hoarder and all that. And they find something very startling that has to do with race. They're not very happy about it. They will become happy about it, but the happiness is very (laughs) short-lived, very short-lived, and um, it it really is staggeringly um, sad when you first think about it, and then when you think about what they found and what they want to do with it. Uh, it makes even a greater racial statement. Um, so we are dealing with race here, and that's why it's an all-white family. And we are dealing with people being victimized to the nth degree. But it is also an indication about people want to profit from bad situations as well. So um, that's I'm being very, very um, <coughs> oblique here because I don't want to give too much away. I mean, there are so many places here where there could be a spoiler alert but um or spoiler i guess i should say so i'm um i'm avoiding all that whatsoever um, I found it very gripping for the first act. I thought there were a few longers in the second act, but then it picked up again. And I do think it's well worth seeing, especially for Sarah Paulson. Corey Stoll, who also is a well-known name, plays her brother and does it awfully well. So Michael Esper is the other, um, brother. Um, an actor who, uh, is, has, has a scene in the second act where he's very, very effective. I don't believe for a second, that the people would let him make this speech because they want to know about something he's done. They want to know now. But playwright, uh, Brandon Dixon, um, indeed wants to have him give this speech. But I don't believe that anybody would um, let him go on and on and on without saying, wait a minute, what happened to the, you know, that type of thing. So, So I do think that's a bit of a flaw. Very, very nice production. No question about that. Beautifully p- produced. And it's a real triumph of second stage theater to have yet another show on Broadway. Lila Nugerbugger, um, certainly did a very good job by, um, directing and the set design, which is not that far away from what uh, we had in the cottage at this same theater earlier in the season is, um, is by what I assume is a company called dots. Oh, they yeah. just started. Um, <clears throat> they did the Sun of New Bernstein's window and they're going to do an enemy of the people, which we'll soon see it, um, circle in the square, isn't it? I think so. Um, <clears throat> but it's a very nice set. Uh, and, um, and credit to the people who make the change between X one and two. They're very, very busy. I'll say no more than that. But, uh, I, I certainly was gripped by much of this play and uh, enough of it that I can certainly recommend it.
1: Okay. So that is uh, appropriate. The Hayes theater. It's uh, been extended through March 3rd, 2024. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. Uh, Peter and Michael got over to the Atlantic theater company's Linda gross theater to see one of the hottest tickets off Broadway right now, called the Buena Vista Social Club. Michael and Peter, does it live up to the hype? Uh, Michael, why don't you start us off with this?
2: Well, as so often is the case, I went in cold to this because I did not see the source material film. Uh, have either of you guys seen it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I okay, no. Okay, so Peter, you'll be able to... Pr- provide a different perspective um i enjoyed this very much uh in the beginning and and overall but um here we have a kind of unique situation i think where every single song in this show and there are a whole lot of them is diegetic meaning uh it's a song that's actually presented as being performed uh in a, in a realistic situation, whether a recording studio or a rehearsal or a performance, um, rather than, uh, you know, a quote-unquote book song where people are actually singing to each other uh, as in place of normal dialogue. Um, so, uh, th- for me, this show had the effect of being constantly interrupted <laughs> Uh, by the songs and as enjoyable as they are um every time one starts you know well we're waiting you know we're putting the story on hold here and then after this song which which may be quite long um we'll get back to it and then there'll be another song that will take quite a bit of time uh now is this better or worse than trying to um take diegetic songs and fit them into the book of a show. Uh I I think it's I, I you know, I'm not thrilled with either approach. And I, I'll I'll certainly never forget the one that sticks in my mind is um the Neil Simon the Neil Diamond, excuse me, the Neil Diamond musical, uh, Beautiful Noise, where they took the song You Don't Bring Me Flowers Anymore and put it into the context of the show in such an inept way that I I think people started to giggle. Um, So you won't get any of that here, but you'll just get um, a book, you know, a a very interesting story about a a, a set in Cuba about a, a, a woman based on a real life figure. Uh, who is trying to make it in the music business despite all of the political unrest in Cuba at the time? Um, and so there's that story and it's very compelling. And there are other characters in it her sister, uh, and, um, you know, ma- various men, uh, co workers and lovers, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, nothing to do with the songs and the songs have nothing to do with the story. So that to me um, was uh, a negative. And I wish there was a way I could suggest even to fix it other than to maybe have some fewer songs. Um, I'm also trying to think if there's any other show um, that I've ever seen that does this where all of the songs are diegetic And make no attempt to fit into the actual story. Uh, So maybe one of one of both of you guys can help me out with that. Anyway, it's a music by the Grammy Award-winning Buena Vista Social Club. That's the name of the group. Uh, Creative consultant David Yazbek. That's interesting because I give them props for going to a musical theater professional to help them uh get this on the stage. Choreography by Patricia Delgado and Justin Peck, developed and directed by Sahima Lee. And I ha- I have to mention at least the central performance of Amara played by Natal- Natalie Venetia Belcone because she was absolutely fantastic. But we have uh, other wonderful people in it as well Danaya Esperanza, Jared Machado, Julio Monge, um Meltsimi, uh, et uh etc etc and this is at the atlantic theater company at their theater down on 20th street um so i i certainly think it's worth a look and if you're a fan of the movie um i would think you probably will not be disappointed okay peter what do you think
3: actually the um movie has very little to do with um With the show, Uh, as much as I can say that I saw the movie. Um, We joke a lot about Linda leaving at the end of the first act. Um, Linda set a record yesterday by walking out of the movie when we were watching in my apartment and then walking out of the show at the end of the first act. So, <laughs> so, so the Buena Vista Social Club She's wasn't for her at all. Yes, indeed. Um, the movie's a documentary. Uh, it's it's simply people talking about their memories of the Buena Vista Social Club interrupted by uh, songs. So uh, that's what it seems to be. I don't. I think we watched about 40 minutes of it, maybe, maybe even a little less, and uh, we got the idea of it. And I'm not sure if indeed, um, that, uh, ever in the movie we actually heard from Omara. Yes, indeed, she is a real person and, um, is in her nineties now. Um, so it is somewhat of a true story. I'm sure there's been, um, finessed here and there but um frankly i found the story on the trice side um it seemed to be something i've heard a million times before uh the two sisters have an act and one has the chance to be better than the other and uh the other one um is is more interested in success while uh the other one is more pure in thought and uh wants to go the way to the Buena Vista social club as opposed to recording for capital records hmm. so it is it is effective i will say uh, what happens when this, um, the sister who wants to perform at the Buena Vista Social Club, that's Amara, um, indeed even refuses to go on at the Tropicana nightclub where she has to sing, um, standard songs, standard issue songs that aren't in her personality at all. So, um, <clears throat> but, you know, the idea of, um, that happening seems to me not at all fresh. So, I do give them credit for saying, all right, we're not just going to put a documentary on stage. We're going to have to find a story. Uh, but the story they found just wasn't a uh, terrible, uh, big interest to me. That said, uh, certainly the choreography is wonderful and, uh, the performers are wonderful. I will say there is a guitarist who drove me crazy because he has a big solo and he has that expression on his face saying, can you can can you can you believe how wonderful I am? Do you believe this could be accomplished? And isn't this something that a human being can accomplish? This you would have never thought so, but here I am doing it, and it's nothing. I can do this all the time. You know that type of cockiness that you want to take him down a peg or two. So, um, and yeah, he's good. He's good. But let's have a little modesty in the way that you're looking at the crowd. So, um, so. um so, I, um, this, this wasn't, um, a, a musical that I thought was as good as, frankly, I will say this that my friends told me. I've had a lot of people who've gone and they've liked it a lot. So, in essence, this is a minority opinion from all the people I've talked to. And in fact, Linda, too, said a lot of her friends said, Oh, wow, wait, you see the one of us to social, you know, so, so, um, you know, take our opinions with a shaker full of salt. Uh, They may not be for you at all, but um, uh, I I found it a sit-throughable musical and not much more.
1: All right. So, uh, Peter, along the lines of what you were just saying about the word of mouth, uh, is that uh, it has been extended through January 21st, 2024, and there are no tickets available And there also
3: are are like two dozen people on stage, which is really amazing Yes, Um, to have that many people at the Atlantic. I mean, this really must be breaking the budget, but um, at least they're getting some of it back on this um, intense ticket sales.
1: And uh, although on the Atlantic website, uh, it is sold out asterisk uh, because – they say that for a three thousand dollar donation, they can get you a seat. <laughs>
3: well, that's how that works.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Break out the folding chairs <laughs> for three thousand bucks. <laughs> so if you must see it, it is sold out, but you do have a possible way. Uh, to get over to the Atlantic Theatre Company to see this uh, production that is sold out and extended through
2: January, or you 21st. could just wait and hope for Broadway, which looks very likely. Although, as we've discussed, um, the landscape is very crowded <laughs> for it, the
1: spring. It, yeah, uh, it, it, you know, a lot of people uh, jockeying for a Best Musical Tony just got into a very crowded race. But we'll talk about that in a in a few minutes. Mm. So that's, uh, Buena Vista Social Club of the Atlantic Theater Company's Linda Gross Theater through January 21st, 2024. Uh, Michael and Peter also got over to the, uh, Signature Center to the Irene Diamond stage to see, uh, La Femme Theater's production of Night of the Iguana. So, uh, Peter, why don't you get us started on this?
3: Well, uh, I was tremendously disappointed for a very different reason, and that is the fact that um, I know the movie of this property with Richard Burton and Deborah Carr and Sue Lyon and Grayson Hall. Now, um, these names may not be terribly familiar to a lot of people, um, but Sue Lyon and Grayson Hall appear in the movie quite a bit. Here's the story. Reverend Shannon, a defrocked minister uh is now leading tourists through mexico that's his job now he's not 100 percent thrilled with it and dealing with a whole bunch of people trying to make everybody happy is very difficult <clears throat> um he's also not a perfect human being and um in the movie uh richard burton is um having a relationship with a very young girl played by sue lyon who by the way not long before had played Lolita in the famous uh, Stanley Kubrick movie. So um, so here we are where, uh, of course, the leader of the bus, uh, the leader of the the tourist, played by Grayson Hall, certainly knows what's going on. She, of course, is very upset. She's upset with him for a number of reasons. And he takes us to this place where, indeed, um a, 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 a hotel where which isn't first class and um they expected more so there's a lot of conflict in the movie wow it's the movie's so much better than the play the um sue lion character literally has a walk-on i mean she walks on and she walks off and that's it and you never see her again so that's a problem um also, uh, Leah Delaria playing the Grayson Hall role. I'm, I'm, I'm just thrilled that she was going to do it. I thought this will be great. You know, I mean, because I'm telling you, they are at odds through the entire picture and she's Grayson Hall shows up a great deal. Leah Delaria doesn't have that much to do. Maybe three scenes. I don't know. I may be underestimating, but she's not in the, in the play. That character is not in the play nearly as much as the movie, not nearly. So, um, so that's a problem as well. um, And, um, what's, what's going on here is that, um, Deborah Carr, uh, is there with her grandfather, who's a very old man. And, um, it's, it's, it's not an easy situation taking care of an old man who's a poet who wants to finish a poem that he's been working on for a long time. And he's hoping to finish it before he dies. There's a phenomenal scene. Phenomenal, where indeed uh, Reverend Shannon talks to um, Hannah, uh, that's the woman who's taking care of her grandfather, about her sexual experiences. And while they don't quite qualify as sexual experiences, it's really something how she almost makes them sound as if they're sexual experiences, that they had so much profound impact on her so that works well and deborah carr of course is wonderful in the movie um but i like gene lichty very much in this role very much i also like tim daly as reverend shannon i just felt that the screenplay really wipes the floor with the play so um (laughs) i recommend watching the movie
1: Hmm. all right michael what did you think
2: Well, I think that uh, one of my colleagues described this play as uh, one of William's most underrated, but I can't agree with that. I think there are wonderful things in it, but overall, I just think its uh, main flaw is that it's so overwritten. This production cuts out one of the two intermissions uh, that were indicated in the original script, uh, and it still clocks in at about two hours and 50 minutes. 5-0 5 minutes, that is. <laughs> um, so, and I just don't think that all of that all of that talk is necessary. I think the points are made and they don't have to be dwelt on in quite so lengthy a fashion. In particular, there's a um, very, very, very long scene towards the end between the Reverend Shannon, uh, played by Tim Daly, and Hannah, played by Gene Lichty. And again, there's lots of wonderful stuff in it but it gets to the point of overkill for me and it's like are are they how long are they going to keep talking um i think maybe as williams got older and more famous it was one of those situations where no one would ever dare say to him uh you know get out your blue pencil (laughs) uh so uh, it's too bad because i think um there is a lot of good stuff there, as I said, and I, and I suspect, you know, Peter, I have never seen the film. Uh, Mm -hmm. I suspect I'm guessing that the film would be better only because I, I would assume they condense all of that and it's not quite as verbose. So I have to get on that and see, um, uh, this, uh, we should note this, uh, is a excellent, um, physical production, uh, that was unexpected to by me at a, you know at, at this level by this company that's really not not that well established. but uh, scenic design by Beowulf Borrit, costumes by Jennifer von Meyerhauser, lighting by Jeff Kreuter, and sound design by Darren L. West. I mean you can't really do much better than those people so that was really nice and that really added to everything uh i think that peter and peter and i were at the same performance i think it was the first performance that was open to reviewers and um although overall i i felt that the show was in good shape there were um a fair amount of stumbles uh throughout the show because there are so many lines um so that affected the pacing a little bit and the focus of it. I think uh, if you were to see um, this production now, uh, you would probably get a, a slightly better one than the performance that we saw for those reasons. But yes, I I liked Tim Daly very much. Um, Jean Lichty, who is the... Uh, I forget exactly what her title is, but she's the head honcho of this company. Um, I had seen her in... Something previous in which I did not like her at all, but here I thought she was much better cast, actually, as Hannah, and I thought she did a a very good job. Although a friend of mine said something interesting. He said, uh, you know, I was listening to her speak, and sometimes I thought, oh, what a lovely, um, you know, speaking voice she has for the stage. And then in other moments, he thought she sounded sort of like a valley girl. Uh, so, and it became annoying and he kept going back and forth with those two things, uh, all night. And I said, you know, now that you mentioned it, I, I, I guess I heard that too. Um, so that's just know, something she might want to address. Um, I, I unfortunately have to say that I thought Leah Delaria her performance was tremendously overacted um, much, much more than necessary. And it's too bad because she was well cast as well. um, And uh, very good company in general. Uh, nice to see the play again, because I I'm really not that familiar with it. I think I've seen two productions prior to this. Uh, and so this was my third. And as I say, I have to catch up. I'm sure that people who are fans of the play will want to take this in. So that's uh Le Femme Theatre
1: Productions' Night of the Iguana at the uh, Signature Center. Uh, it says on their website that this is not a signature production. It's a private right. production. That's a rental. Uh, it is extended and running through February 25th, 2024. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. So, Michael, uh, you got over to 54 Below to see the Fred Brock to see the fred barton broadway band the
2: fred <laughs> barton
1: broadway band miracle on 54th street at 54 below so tell us about this
2: yes just last night and i'm so glad i i'm i'm, I'm so glad i came uh, <laughs> uh fred has done these big band shows before but this is the first one i've seen at 54 i'm not sure if he's done them there in the past but they're really pretty spectacular. He had nine musicians and, you know, including several brass and, and, um, reeds. So you really were getting kind of the equivalent of a big band sound with Fred at piano and occasionally singing a number or two. But, um, he didn't have to sing too much because he had great guests. He had Elena Bennett, uh, whom I've loved for years, ever since she used to sing in, uh, Piano bars, Um, and now she's singing all over the place, all over the world, and with orchestras and and in clubs, etc. Ben Jones, who has been in two of my shows, and I think is one of the great great talents now coming up on the scene. Um, Two women from Forbidden Sonheim, the cast of Forbidden Sonheim, which by the way is going to begin performances. Recommence performances um now they're telling us sometime in january and i believe it's going to be back at the uh green fig at the yotel um down the hall from the green room 42 uh at 42nd and 10th um but yeah two two of those great cast members jenny lee stern and dana geray dantzler uh and then uh, another young woman very talented named jenna lee rosen who uh it was announced is going to be playing mabel in a production of mac and mabel in uh california i'm sorry i don't remember the name of the venue uh but so fred had a lot of help and he really knows how to pick singers because every one of them was amazing it was a wonderful mix of uh, several christmas songs um but Others that were just, you know, wonderful, old, great American songbook standards. Um, Ben Jones did a very, very, very sexy rendition of What Do You Do on New Year's Eve. Uh, And I think, you know, probably would get a lot of invitations in response. (laughs) Or a lot of acceptances, shall I say. Mm -hmm. And Elena Bennett, um, I, I loved that she did this and she told me about it beforehand. She sang winter was Warm," which is that beautiful song from Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol, uh, but written by music by Julie Stein and lyrics by Bob Merrill. And apparently written right at the same time that that team was also working on funny girl on Broadway. And so there've been rumors and thoughts back and forth that, that, that maybe one or one song from that ended up in magoo was it meant for for funny girl and vice versa I, I don't think uh i i personally don't think so and it doesn't seem that way but um unfortunately it's too late now <laughs> to ask uh, mr stein or mr merrill uh regardless winter was warm if you don't know it it's a such a beautiful beautiful song and um that would be that that's the case to go back to Peter's question. I could not separate the music from the lyrics in that song because they're so beautifully wedded together. The music certainly stands on its own. Um and I guess the lyrics would stand on their own as a poem. Uh so I'm so glad she did that. I actually watched all of Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol um again the other day. Uh, but to hear her sing it live, to hear Elena Bennett sing it live was a huge, huge pleasure. And I, I thanked her for it and I can give her a big hug afterwards.
1: <laughs> so, uh, I, it just occurred to me that, um, yeah, you know, all I ever needed was the music in the mirror. So she doesn't, so, so she never says all I ever needed was the music and the lyrics in the mirror, you
0: know? <laughs> well, for a dancer, especially. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Good point.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So the Fred Barton Broadway band Miracle on 54th Street was uh, a single performance, but Michael, on the 54 Below website, Hmm. it's uh, Fred Barton has done the Fred Barton's Broadway band five times since 2019. Uh, so, uh, January 2019, September 2019. Really? I, I didn't know July, that. July 2023. See, you were all up in Jerry Orbach land, so you couldn't know that he was doing, uh, <laughs> in, guess, in July. Yeah. He had his other, he had, uh, so, uh, so Fred has done a few of them there but uh, we'll have a link to the uh, 54 below website in the show notes in case you want to catch up with uh Fred's future stuff but uh Fred is incredibly talented. We love him. Yeah. Oh yeah. So uh yeah, we had a, a few things in the news this week we wanted to touch on briefly before we left you this morning. Uh Philip Borowth uh Boroff at the uh, the Broadway Journal uh, it uh, published a thing that said Stereophonic and Great Gatsby is uh, coming to Broadway this spring in 2024. So we were talking about before how uh, Midtown is going to be a traffic jam, regardless of congestion pricing, because we're going to have so many musicals, mm. so many musicals there. Um, we talked about Stereophonic in our reviews and that it was a possibility to come to Broadway. But uh, uh, Michael, does The Great
2: Gatsby shock you? Yes, it does. Um, because I, for a number of reasons, I I, I mean, actually, I, I did not read the reviews, so I don't know. Um, were they that stellar?
3: I don't recall them being that stellar. Yeah, yeah. Um,
2: so uh that's what i was hearing i had also heard from several people including someone who last night at who sat at my table at uh 54 below uh that they saw it and it was in his words terrible mm-hmm. um apparently it has no no feeling of the period uh it opens with apparently with some kind of a, a musical o- a monologue or and and perhaps some dialogue by jay gatsby coming out and addressing the audience which is completely opposite to the point of the original book which is that he's supposed to be a, a sort of a mysterious kind of person and unknowable and nobody really knows what who he is and what he's about um so that sounds like a tremendous mistake that that they made from the beginning again i have not seen it i'm just going by what people told me uh and on that basis i'm i'm very very surprised also i'm not sure of the the marketability of that title um in the current Mm -hmm. environment in 2024 um Mm -hmm. i you know it's never made a uh, i i would say it's never made a successful movie um maybe the Mm -hmm. most recent one was more successful than the ones before that but never never quite a big hit so we'll see so it it's it's quite possible that it it
1: doesn't really uh, that Broadway is not the end game here for the Great Gatsby. Uh Great Gatsby is being mm-hmm. produced by mm-hmm. a South Korean uh producer who is mm-hmm. uh, huge in uh, in South Korea. Uh the Cameron McIntosh of South Korea per se. Um and that he just needs the property to say it played Broadway,
2: right? Right. But what so, would the but what, what would be the marketability of The Great Gatsby in South Korea? Uh, they, he seems, are, he he seems am, to think, yeah. you know, he
1: seems to think that it's uh, that, <laughs> and they've got uh, Jordan Roth on board. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, uh, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of variables there. It, 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 who you know. So many things don't have to be good to make it to Broadway. They just need to be marketable right. in some way right. they just mm-hmm. you know it's mm-hmm. show business
2: show and meanwhile business. if you uh if you want to go to paper mill now you'll get to see Fiddler on the roof, so you know you mm. won't be disappointed. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> They pulled that set out again, huh? <laughs> Good.
1: Uh, in other news, uh, we have uh, news that Peter Marks, friend of ours, is uh, chief theater critic at the Washington Post, is uh, leaving his post on December 31st. Peter, how long have you known Peter Marks?
3: Oh, gee, uh, at least a decade, I guess, more. Very nice guy. I used to work at the Star-Ledger, as as did I. Um, And a terrific critic. Oh, my God. Um, One of my favorite (laughs) leads of all time came from Peter Marks when uh, Raquel Welsh went into Victor Victoria. And uh, again, she has to play ostensibly a man yeah and uh and Raquel Welch was was built in a way that was never confused with a man and Peter Rex's lead was oh come on with an exclamation point (laughs) (laughs) one of the great leads of all time anyway I know a terrific critic terrific guy and um as Jason Zinneman's article talks about the fact that before the internet age nobody knew how many clicks, you know, how many hits uh, mm. people were reading, you know, theater critics, and now it seems that this is such a, a niche market that indeed, um, well maybe we don't need a theater critic. Um I remember when I was at the Star Ledger that one day um the um the chess column was repeated. Um that they had made a mistake. You know, the one they ran on Monday they ran on Tuesday as well. <laughs> and as uh Mark Diono, an editor there said but nobody called to complain. <laughs> Should we be running this column? I mean, if nobody called to say, "Wait a minute, this was it, yes, you know. So, so the fact is that uh, we have to face the fact that not everybody's interested, but in we are interested in, and certainly not to the degree that we're interested in it. But, um, but that's uh, that's part of the problem. That indeed, now you know exactly how many people are reading, and um, I'm sorry to say the numbers aren't so hot. Now you so- know. We should be, uh, we
1: should say in the context of this that this wasn't so much just a a theatrical thing that the Washington Post offered buyouts to the whole staff.
2: Right.
1: And they expected uh, some 240 people to take these buyouts on December 31st of their contracts. Uh, and they will not be replacing these people, so it it didn't just hit the the, you know, the theater reviewers, and that also that more people than the 240 took buyouts than expected. So it it's a it's it's an issue in the news industry across the board. It's not just Indeed. theatrical, but we're seeing it most in the theatrical. And and Peter referenced Jason Zinneman's article uh, in the American Theater Magazine, One Reason Theater. Is in Crisis, Is the Slow Death of Criticism. And I'll have a link to all of these stories in the show notes at
2: broaderradio.com if you'd like to take a look at them.
3: That Jason
2: Zinneman article is really, really powerful and well-written. Everyone should read that.
1: Yeah. Jason Zinneman from the New York Times wrote that for American Theatre Magazine. Yes, so that wraps it up for this morning. Before we get on to our brain teasers and our musical moments, and Peter, you need to email me the brain teaser. Uh, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to the, you can sub- it's, the only, it's the only possible chance I have to getting it right is if you send me the information ahead of time.
3: You know? here, it comes, you can, here it comes.
1: You can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of broadervideo.com. There's a subscribe link that we each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway. It'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us on Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to get us. Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash radio is one place that you can support Broadway Radios, uh, all of us across the board, and get our uh, shows early. You can also listen to us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Pandora, Google Play, YouTube Music, anywhere that you can listen to to find our podcast, you'll find Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found on the show notes at broadervideo.com, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today. So, Peter, do you have an answer to last week's brain teaser?
3: This actor did manage to get a Tony nomination, but not the award itself, for playing four different parts in one musical. Three of the characters did not have surnames. One did. About whom are we speaking, and what show, and what were the names? Well, Alan Alder in The Apple Tree appeared as four characters. Adam, of Adam and Eve fame. There's no last name there, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Sanjar and Flip followed, although Flip was revealed to be George L. Brown in the final scene. Now, frankly, this is why I thought people would not get this, because... um he's he's only there for a couple of seconds um it's, it's a story about a cinderella type story about transformation and um flip is a rock musician he turns out to be a very meek guy in real life so um i really thought that, that would flummox people and perhaps it did but it didn't flummox tony Janicky, who once again was in first place followed by jay aubrey jones sean logan brigadude ingrid gamerman and jack leshner Paul Witte pointed out that Mako was nominated for playing the reciter, Shogun, Jonathan Goldblum and Emperor Meiji in Pacific Overtures, so we'll give him credit, too. This week's question. What do these shows have to do with one of the most popular musicals of all time? One Sunday Afternoon, Jekyll and Hyde, Miracle at Verdun, Lenny, that's the play about Lenny Bruce, quo vadis and follies
1: okay if you have an answer for that email us at trivia at com. we'll let you know if you're on the right track so michael uh in the musical moment this week uh, Mm. I, i you know i thought you were gonna go with I don't remember Christmas from David Shire and Richard Maltby, <laughs> but you didn't. I love that little bitter song. If so, if you're bitter this Christmas, oh, yeah. look up. Oh, yeah. I don't, re- yeah. I don't remember Christmas from mm. David Shire. Mm. Uh, um, and, uh, that's such a wonderful song, but you have picked two other really wonderful songs for us for this week's show. What are they?
2: Well, uh with Barbara Streisand's memoir uh selling mm-hmm. uh like hot cakes and uh a- in book form and also in audiobook form uh I thought of her and of course she made a really great Christmas album <clears throat> in the mid 60s uh and I thought we would open with maybe the most fun track from that recording, which is her rendition of Jingle Bells. Uh, Right from the beginning, you know, of course, Barbara was very much into um, making songs her own through her own unique interpretations of them and also uh, in terms of the arrangements um, for her and the musicians. So I think that this one certainly qualifies, but it's a lot of fun. And then uh, decades later, Barbara made another Christmas album. Uh, and that one has a, um, uh, a very different feel to it. And one of the most interesting things on it is that, of all things, she includes the song I Remember from, St- from Stephen Sondheim's Evening Primrose, uh, which is not a Christmas song by any stretch of the imagination. But um, she asked Sondheim to write a an introductory verse to sort of make it uh seem like a christmas song and there are a couple of um, wintry images in it uh, not not many really i would say there were more wintry and christmasy images in my favorite things from the sound of music which has also sort of been adopted as a christmas song mm-hmm. um evening primrose is really a you know as anyone who knows the property is sung by a woman who has spent all her life living in a department store uh, as part of like this secret society of people hidden away from from the world um and so when she sings i remember the first thing she says is i remember sky and she sings a beautiful song about being out in the world rather than cooped up uh in a you know in a in a in a building uh in this case a department store so um uh, you can please listen to this and, and see if you think that uh, it was a good idea uh, for Barbara to ask Sondheim to write <laughs> that, that introductory verse and try to make this a Christmas song. Um, but even if you don't think it was a good idea, um, I, I think we can all agree that the song itself is very beautiful. And Streisand does quite a lovely job with it. So that is our closer for today. All right, so
1: on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway videos this week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: I awake on a chilly Christmas morning Watch the choir singing carols on TV I gaze out through my window at a dozen other windows Then I plug in my artificial tree And like a dream I begin to remember Every Christmas I used to know A thousand miles you mm-hmm.